Welcome to Circuit Break from Macrofab, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and religious diversity in engineering. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 419. Circuit Break from Macrofab. Hey, Circuit Breakers. We have an announcement. We're running an electronic design contest on our community forums. The theme is food devices. Go to forum.macfed.com to find out more information about the contest and how to enter. There's a category on the left side of the forum that says contests. Click that. You'll find it. For prizes, there's over $5,000 in cash and free prototyping services through MacFab. And the most important thing, a trophy to show that your design was one of the best entered. There'll be a link in the show notes where to find more information about this contest and how to enter. And thank you, Mauser Electronics, for sponsoring the contest. This week, we have Kent Johnson on the podcast. We had Kent join us back in January to talk about engineering ethics. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out episode 413, The Gray Zone. This time, we've brought Kent back to discuss religious diversity. Welcome back to the podcast, Kent. How has the last six weeks been? Oh, it's been uh, eventful here, and everything's going great, and I'm happy to be back with you guys. Well, we're bringing you back to talk about the really easy topics like engineering and uh, religious diversity in engineering. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, this is, a, this is an interesting topic, I hope, to a lot of people. But at first, some of them are going to be scratching their heads, right? I mean, what does religion have to do with engineering and technology and the workplace, you know, and for a lot of people, it's a mystery or you wouldn't necessarily equate those things. But, you know, tech companies increasingly are embracing religion as a key part of the diversity, equity and inclusion field. It's not just a fringe issue. It is becoming mainstream with a lot of companies. And so it's helpful for people to be aware of that and to understand why religion plays in the workplace, what relevance it has. I work with an organization called the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, RFBF. And this is an organization that gives awards to the most faith-friendly companies in the world. And among them, companies like Intel, they're number one this year. The most faith-friendly company in the world is Intel right now. Then American Airlines, Equinix, PayPal, Dell Technologies is one of them. Google is one of them. Some people say, my goodness, I, I don't think of Google as being very open to religious expression. And of course, my alma mater, uh, Texas Instruments, was one of the leaders in this area uh, years ago as a pioneer. And so was American Airlines, by the way. So Amex, Target, a lot of the automobile companies have embraced the idea of religious diversity and emphasis specifically on freeing people up to bring their, that part of their lives into the workplace. But let me frame it a little bit, and we can be having some interactive discussion about this. I think a starting point, a good one, is to define what we mean when we say religion. Because most people think of religion as adherence to a particular sect requirement, certain place of worship and certain hierarchy of figures in that uh, organization. But religion is really a much broader concept. If you look at uh, Webster's Dictionary, for instance, there's one of the definitions. The second one, I think, is excellent for our purposes. Religion 
is a set of values, principles, and beliefs that one adheres to with ardor and faith. Now think about that for a minute. Everybody has a set of values and principles that they live by, at least hopefully they do, if they've given that any thought at all, and hopefully they have. In that sense, we're all religious, even, I say even, atheists. In fact, our experience has been, in our dealings with atheists, they're some of the most ethical people on the planet. They really have a set of principles and beliefs that they adhere with, with ardor, that's uh, emotion and heart. So the discussion today, as I see it, has relevance to our discussion last time I was on with you guys, which is the question of ethical behavior among engineers. What motivates it? When, when nobody's looking, why would somebody not lie about the work done? You know, yeah, I spent X number of hours on this or take credit for other people's work or maybe shift blame. I don't know if you've ever seen that in any of your workplaces, but shifting <laughs> blame or any number of other ethical kinds of challenges. Why not? And I think in the end, if the belief is you'll never get caught, the only answer is that set of values and beliefs that you hold on to with ardor, with, with your heart. That's what makes people decide whether they're going to bend the rules, whether they're going to lie, whether they're going to uh, extort money, whether they're going to, you know, bribe someone to, to do something that's in their best interest, they think. So religion actually becomes a business issue. It's a business issue from the standpoint of employee retention, among other things. Companies just are trading their employees back and forth all over the place. Think about why you stay at a job and why you want to leave. In a lot of cases, the reason you stay is that you feel like you're seen, you belong to a place. The people care about you for who you are, not just for what they can get out of you. They appreciate you. And you know that somebody cares about you personally. That goes a long way. It's not a, it's not a panacea, but it goes a long way to motivating somebody to stick around in a particular workplace. The concept that we're, there's mutual respect in the organization. And this also speaks to the whole movement in the human resource profession. There's a lot of discussion about how do you have your employees motivated to bring their whole self to work so that they are working from their heart. They're try, they are bringing their inner being. If you have an environment that says, look, it's just not appropriate to talk about your faith, you're cutting out a whole cross-section of people and basically sending the message to them that, you know, your beliefs, your identity, your core identity, what you consider really the definition of you is not welcome here. In fact, it's a hindrance. And if you were to express anything about your core beliefs, there'd be a problem. So shut up and go do your job. So the emphasis in diversity, equity, inclusion, at least the purported or the discussed goal is to make everybody all diverse kind of views and backgrounds, skin color, sexual orientation, any number of things, all those people to feel like they can be themselves at work. You know, and the obvious question, why would you want to stifle that, you know? And I'll just toss that out to you guys. Maybe you have some opinions about what would cause a company to be wary of opening the door to religious expression in the workplace. What do you think? 
I, I would say just from my experience in professional jobs, it's always been a hush hush kind of thing. It's always mm-hmm. you keep that inside. That's your thing you do on the week. And that's your thing you do outside this work that does has no relevance to work. So, uh, you know, put on your suit and tie, come to work, do work, and then do religion at a different time. And, uh, there's always the perception that perhaps presenting whatever religious belief you have could result in offending somebody. And yeah. so there's always this fear of HR backlash if somehow you offended someone because of your beliefs, because your beliefs may conflict with someone else uh, directly and in a profound and deep way. Uh, so my experience has always been that where, you know, keep this to yourself or if you are going to discuss it, you know, it's closed doors or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, you've nailed two of the major reasons that people put up for this. They're, they're worried about disruption in the workplace because somebody's going to come in banging a drum and making other people feel judged. That's one concern that some people have. And any other one is it's just irrelevant. What does it have to do? What does religion have to do with your workplace? But again, I would suggest that if you look at the broad definition of religion, it has a whole lot to do with your workplace. A set of beliefs and values and principles that you live by, that an individual has embraced as being part of his identity, as as being a significant, in fact, the core of that person's identity. Think about this. You have people in the workplace who are Muslim. Some of them have names that uh, make it very clear that they're Muslim. Mohammed, uh, kind of a common name among technology people. And then others, you know, wear a yarmulke. And so they're spotted. And then, of course, you have Hindus, and, and sometimes they have a dot on their forehead. And they don't know about one another in typical workplace environments. They don't They don't go around talking about their religion all the time. In fact, most cases, they're pretty silent about it. And you have Sikhs who come with turbans, and you have others who talk about, um, oh, gee, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm going to do a Bible study here or something like that. And when those terms come out, when the knowledge comes out of a person's religious background, there tends to be a fear or a apprehensiveness or a worry that's very common. One of the things that we found when we open up the door to faith expression for all people is that those barriers, those fears are extinguished. There's cross-cultural connection. There are friendships that are kindled across Muslim and Jew. And in these times, my heavens, does the world not need that? And the people that we're working alongside, the people that are our suppliers and our customers, they're adherence to all sorts of religions across the board. The multicultural nature of high tech is strong and powerful. And um, yeah, so the answer to the question of, gee, is it going to be disruptive? If you look at these companies that I've mentioned, if you were to talk to the human resource professionals in those organizations and ask, has opening the door to faith caused friction in the workplace? Almost to a person, they will say just the opposite overall. Now, are there individual cases where somebody's particularly obnoxious <laughs> and, and causing a difficulty? Yes. However, when you open the door to religious expression, you also open the door to trainings about how to be respectful of people who have different views than your own. And those trainings go a long way to avoid, you know, the most worried about friction that takes place. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, to reiterate what Stephen said, it's the biggest concern that at least, you know, when I have is, you know, is the friction that causes it. You know, if you break, because it's the, the idea of when you say you're whatever, it's the, I guess, stereotypes or baggage you carry with that label. Right. Yeah, well, that's absolutely true. You know, there are a lot of people who are worried, particularly in the, quote, Bible belt about evangelical Christians, that you give, you open a door for them, they're going to make people feel uncomfortable. They're going to come in and say things about where they're, what they face when they die, what's going to happen, where will they go. You know, those kinds of discussions are very, uh, when you challenge Christian believers or any of these believers of different faiths, what are you trying to accomplish? And do you think that this will help you accomplish it? When they think about it, they realize, you know, those kinds of messages are counterproductive. You're driving people away. If somebody ever expresses discomfort with your discussion of your faith, you back off. You don't keep pushing it. It's the opposite of effective for your own purposes. And, uh, so that's been very helpful for some. Now, of course, some religions are not evangelical at all. They don't go out to try to convert other people. The Jews in particular, by and large, are not out seeking converts to Judaism. And they give a real solid perspective on all this and how they feel. So, for instance, you can imagine this. You have a company that you walk the hallway and you see electronic billboards announcing different events, different types of things. And you see one that says... Passover Seder, and you see one that says Easter celebration, and you see one that says Ramadan celebration, and Chinese New Year, and all different types of things. This is an environment where people of all groups are encouraged to come out. And coming out has an interesting effect. All these religions, the major religions, have a set of principles the question of why they follow those principles differs from religion to religion, but the principles are largely congruent. You know, don't lie, be faithful, work hard, produce excellent work product. A lot of the principles that relate to work specifically are in lockstep with one another. So consider a, a panel discussion. Now, this happens in many of these companies where you have a a Jew, a Muslim, a Christian, a Hindu, or a Buddhist, or a Sikh, and they're up on a panel and they're talking about, why does your religion, your faith, relate to your work? What does it have to do with your work? And get them each talking very personally about what it means to them. And you get some amazing friendships that grow out of that. You see trust building. You don't have to worry about, you know, gee, these... Now, it's not to say that everybody's aspirational statements about what they want to do is the right thing and everything. They'll always be 100% perfect in doing them. But having them say that um, publicly has a positive effect. It sort of introduces a uh, accountability. So your coworkers, you know, oh, yeah, you're some sort of religious person. And here you are behaving in this particular way that, that your religion doesn't approve of. You know, you're just a hypocrite. And that, uh, that's a healthy kind of encouragement not to be two people, not to be double-minded, if that makes sense. Does this uh, strike a chord in either of you guys? It does. And, and something that I suppose is a fear of mine in many ways is working with perhaps somebody who is dogmatic enough in their 
approach to things that they may say, I can't work with someone who has X belief, who believes this. I can't even be in the same room as that person. Uh, this is barbaric or this is, uh, this is just unacceptable in, you know, pick whatever year it is. There's always a fear in my mind, and I'm not saying that I have specific beliefs that would generate that. I'm just saying there is a fear that 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 person could exist, even though I haven't necessarily run into that person. Yeah, I think there are a lot of imagined fears, but that is that's a legitimate one for sure. I think, Stephen, on that one, I think because I have that fear too, because Stephen and I were like, we grew up with the internet and that being a th- thing on the internet so you see that a lot i think that's where a lot of that comes from steven Mm -hmm. this is like irrational fear that people are going to be irrational (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know you know it's interesting think think about this if you have that kind of suppose you have an employee who has that attitude i can't have anything to do with say a muslim person or i'm not going to work closely as a, a colleague with a muslim person well, that's a real problem. That's something that, you know, is really going to negatively impact that person's performance at work. And the reason it is, is because in many cases, you know, you can spot the Muslims in your organization. You realize that they're going off for prayer every day. You realize and some of them have outfits and some of them have names, as I mentioned before. You're going to run into that. And my view, frankly, is that I'd rather have that kind of prejudice out in the open where it can be dealt with and challenged, you know, kindly and gently perhaps at first. But boy, if you've got people who say, I just, I just can't put up with a boss who is X, well, that's a real problem. Uh, putting it under the table and say, okay, we're not going to talk about that. That's no, nobody's going to spend any time talking about that. That is exactly the wrong way, <laughs> way to approach that problem. But yeah, I agree with you, Parker. I think the internet has uh, succeeded in putting us into armed camps even more than we would otherwise be. Although it's human nature to kind of kind of be over on one side and the other and see one another as adversaries. So those people who have the beliefs that are contrary to mine, gosh, they're... Yeah, that, that's a whole topic in itself is the internet has connected us all together, but also amplified the echo chamber right. of everyone's camp. Oh, to a deafening level. So if you're working with somebody and you also happen to be on some social media platform and you say, oh my goodness, that person is a, is a devout Hindu and, you know, in India and there's Hindu nationalism in India and, oh my goodness, you know, the, the fears kind of tend to spiral out if you're not careful. But, you know, authenticity speaks a lot. Uh, if you think about what... What builds trust in the workplace? You want to be able to trust the people, the technologists that you're working with. You need to have a basic level of trust with them. What feeds trust? I think it's transparency or the sense that people are being real. They're not hiding a huge part of themselves that they have ulterior motives and they're going to get you when they can and stick a knife in your back. Anything, in my view, that promotes authenticity in the workplace has got to be a plus thing. But also, there is, there is pushback. You know, one of the areas of pushback is people who, who are committed to certain value systems which are inconsistent with some of the religious views. 
For instance, the LGBTQ community was very apprehensive when we first started at Texas Instruments talking, this is more than 25 years ago, talking about the possibility of acknowledging religious diversity. So, oh my goodness, first first thing out of the box, gee, are they going to, you know, is this open season on gays? Are, are these people who have their rigid views going to come in with placards saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't, you know, embrace my values on that particular topic. It took months and months, almost a full year of interaction. Frankly, in my case, in the case of Texas Instruments, it was me and the leader of the LGBTQ group meeting together regularly. At first, it was moderated by a member of the HR leadership team. I guess they thought we were going to slug and start beating one another up or something. They needed a mediator to keep us. We ended up being strong friends. We ended up going on a speaking tour together. I mean, several of them, as a matter of fact. And and just, I mean, I love this guy and, and he loves me. And it just took the air out of that fear. Not just that one individual could build a relationship with that other person, but the full throated support of the religious communities for we have to respect people. What does it mean? What does it mean to respect somebody who has a radically different theology than your own? All of these major religions have the idea of human beings having infinite worth or having very high worth, that they are valuable because they're human beings. And it doesn't really matter what belief system they ascribe to. They're to be respected as human beings. And Christianity made in God's image. How can I, you know, be harsh and rude to that person? So those kinds of fears, you know, when one challenges the attitudes or the fears with the doctrines of the various faiths, People come around, begin to realize, no, that's not what I'm about. I don't want to be seen that way, and I'm not going to behave that way. So the first day after we had management approval for the Christian initiative at Texas Instruments, we also got approval for the Jewish initiative. And it was a little bit later we had we helped um, establish a Muslim initiative. But when the Christian initiative was launched, the security folks were alerted. So we need to keep an eye out for these right-wing people who are going to go and confront LGBTQ employees. It never happened. It never came close to happening. But that is a register of how—I mean, that's just a signpost of how apprehensive people were unnecessarily. Can you explain a little bit more about the Christian Initiative? What does that look like as a whole? Yeah, and actually all of the uh, different faith initiatives, uh, I should say this, let me back up a second and say that they're not all, all identical cookie cutters. Some companies have umbrella organizations that are over all different faiths. Others have individual faiths only. Most of them have individual faith groups that report up through an umbrella organization of all faiths to the DEI chair. That seems to be the predominant model. But specifically, let, let me give you a little uh, vignette of the, um, uh, the Christian group and the Muslim group. You know, one of the four pillars of Islam is what they call almsgiving. And that means just 
caring for the community, doing something kind to the world. So the Christian group engaged with the Muslim group to go reach out to students in various areas in the Dallas Metroplex to give tutoring services. We gathered together with the Jewish Initiative and the the Hindus and others to um, focus on human trafficking and what can we do to stop human trafficking. You know, doing things together is a big part of the charter of these groups. They are not just to take care of their own, kind of inward looking. They're encouraged to look outward. It's why diversity, you know, it's not diversity if everybody's the same and everybody goes into their own corner and just kind of feel good with themselves and then never connect with the others. But there also is this activity within. One of the things that we see frequently happening is that people will talk about the theology of work in the Christians especially, but the Muslims as well. There's a fellow who's written a a book um, called The Barach Effect, and it's very fascinating. It's talking about the productive Muslim. In fact, he's He's CEO of a company called The Productive Muslim. And, you know, you could look at his citations of the Quran, the particular passages in the Quran that support different business initiatives and say, I can cite one in the Bible that says pretty much the same thing. And you see a lot of alliances there. But we have what we call discipleship. I say we. Still talking as if I'm a Texas Instruments employee, but... Uh, many companies actually have this. They they have Bible studies and what they call discipleship groups, and they invite everybody in the whole company in. If you're wondering what Christian discipleship is, come on in. And people do. They come and they audit these courses, and they talk about, you know, what is what does it mean to be a Christian engineer? What are we called to do in our everyday work, the way we treat our bosses? How do we look at our bosses if we think our bosses are jerks? You know, how do we react to that? There are studies, uh, scriptural studies on that. And interestingly, there's a lot in the Far Eastern religions that speak into that concept. So certainly worship services. In the workplace, if you're to go to Texas Instruments around Easter, you're going to see things on, you know, as I said, come to our Easter service. And they have music and they have a Speaker, usually an employee rather than a a paid um, clergy person. And it's challenging for lay people like us to step out of our comfort zone and and to be, you know, to be the one speaking. Uh, So those are just some of the things. Oh, one of the things that's interesting is employee recruitment. A lot of the colleges have various religious organizations. And one of the ways they attract people of various faiths is they say, look, we have a Hillel Society for the the Jewish people who might be interested in coming here. And we have a, I don't know, crew organization and and, uh, a Reformed University Fellowship and all these different groups. And by the way, we have a Muslim organization. Those same kinds of organizations exist in a lot of companies now, or they're beginning to. And that that is a real draw. That's part of the business case for action with this, to make those people feel welcome. And atheists, too. By the way, you know, you might ask, with all this emphasis on religion, how does that make the atheists feel? Very interesting. Now, you know, some people feel like, gosh, I can't come out as an atheist because people look down on me and people jump to the conclusion that since I don't adhere to a particular religion, I, you know, who knows what my ethics are. I might, or I might be dangerous or something. 
That is a, <laughs> a, a lie. It's wrong. It's just flat out crazy. And it's got to be brought out in the open. So you get some people, and we had them at Texas Instruments, but also several of these other companies actually have atheist groups that are formed to encourage one another and to be an, uh, a mouthpiece to the rest of the community and say, look, you know, I have values and beliefs that I hold to with ardor, just like you, and give them an opportunity to really enlighten people who are bigoted against atheists or agnostics. And that's a big piece of this. You also see some activity around the whole question of religion and science. You know, some people have this sort of bifurcated idea, you know, if you're religious, you can't be a scientist. Come on, you know, because science is based on observable truths and things like this. And that is a false dichotomy as well. And when people begin to really relate with one another, they can see... Yeah, this, uh, in fact, religion in many respects, you know, expresses the faith that there are repeatable circumstances. There are things that can be replicated because the world is organized. And so science is possible because of their be having been a creator and that idea. But anyway, it's debatable, but it also is a very healthy debate when you get... Uh, people who had previously felt, gosh, those religious people, they're talking about, and there's a passage in the Bible that says, the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And all these religious people, literalists, they think the trees are clapping hands or something. Just not true. Anyway, any other thoughts, observations, concerns that you might have? Yeah, it's uh, the the whole aspect of like, bringing it out into the workplace. How does that even look like? You just actually talk, talked about these separate groups or almost like, you almost explained it like clubs, but that's not this whole idea of, of that goes back to the whole, like, you know, everyone's going back to their corners, how you said it. But mm -hmm. you, you talk about these groups. So how does it actually work together at the workplace then? And how do they actually come together then? Well, you know, there are these activities that are related to United Way, other outreach kinds of activities that the people of different faiths can collaborate on. One of the things that was has been really interesting is a trend, a number of these companies have embraced it, of, of encouraging people of various faiths to visit one another's places of worship. So you have Jews and Christians and, and others going into a mosque. And just saying, what do people do? And most larger mosques have a situation, have a place where, you know, non-believers can go behind a glass wall and just observe what's going on, and then hear the homily that's given, and and wow, that sounds almost like a sermon I could hear <laughs> in my church. And those kind of things are, I consider them healing, and really faith promoting almost because they bring people together. And now it's not to say that it's a homogenization. You know, we're not, the idea of diversity is not the melting pot. Everybody becomes the same. You know, you have your religion, I have mine. I don't care what you believe. Everything's equal. We're all cool. It can't be that because that's not diversity. That's uniformity. But, you know, what I see is particularly powerful in this regard is that the culture of the world needs this tremendously. How we can observe people of 
radically different theologies, you know, wor- worldviews, coming together collaboratively, caring about one another, going to the hospital when one another are, are ill because they care about one another, building those kinds of trusting relationships, that's cathartic. So we have people from various countries that are presumed to be against the United States, and they're, and they're in this country, and they have different religious beliefs, uh, and we engage them in this kind of activity, and they're shocked. So, you mean, I thought all of these evangelical Christians were out to get me. They really hate me as a person. I'm seeing differently. And that's just one example, but it's across the board. The Jews are not a- against me, and they have relatives back in other countries, in their home countries. Think about that. How is the world going to become more peaceful, more trusting, more civil? It's not going to be because some brilliant person got on the internet and gave a great speech. It's going to be interpersonal relationships, one-on-one over time. And then those people who are affected by those can go and tell their comrades and the uh, people of similar faith Look, these people aren't out to get us, and it's safe to engage with them on a more profound level and to come out as your religion. It's okay. You can be authentic. You don't need to hide any longer. That's powerful, boys. To me, that's why I'm in this as a volunteer, you know, why, why I chose to do this after retiring. If in some small way I can pave a connection across these cultures of civility and kindness, that'll, that'll change the world. So a company goes into India, for instance. India, frankly, racked with sectarian violence, and China now increasingly as reverting to an earlier time when it was racked with tension. Companies, international companies that are engaging with them are bringing this idea of diversity into their international spheres. That's one thing I love about Brian Grimm, the head of our foundation, the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. He's, he's spending lots of time in India, particularly right now, and throughout Europe and in Saudi Arabia. I mean, amazing places where people want to do business with companies like the ones I mentioned. And that is a beachhead for civility and kindness. You know, so obviously I'm... Um, <laughs> I'm looking really big picture here and dreaming, just dreaming. <laughs> but if we can have, you know, think just a couple of relationships like that, they can have a ripple effect. And it is. It's happening. You go to one of our conferences and you see people of all different. You see the Sikhs there with their headdress and we see devout Muslims, devout Jews, um, people who are Hasidic. And you see these people embracing one another and talking about, oh, man, this is a movement we can get behind. And we're not compromising our faith in order to jump into this. And it just, it gives you hope. Where do you find hope today? Now, where, where's hope that the whole world isn't going to come into a big crashing nuclear de- bonfire? I mean, it's got to be one-on-one relationships. And where else are you going to find this kind of interaction possible? In tech, especially, my friends, tech is incredibly diverse. And it's incredibly world-embracing. So 
obviously I'm passionate about this. <laughs> you got to ratchet me back. I was about to mention, it's kind of fun to watch you go because, because yeah, this really does uh, permeate every fiber of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you talked about a little bit this well, halfway back, I guess uh, at this point <laughs> it's, uh, you know, treating, it's hard to treat people as people when that person's leaving part of themselves, not there. Right. And so, you know, because um, I'm an atheist, but Steve and I talk about his faith all the time. It's mm -hmm. normal, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's normal. Yeah, yeah. But it's, that's like, it's weird, though, because you don't really... That's just because Steve and I talk a lot after work and stuff, you know, uh -huh. but not... Uh, like, at work, those kind of discussions don't really happen too often. Right. For probably the reasons that, you know, we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, the hope is, Parker, that you and anybody else that's engaging is don't feel like they're being attacked. And the fear of being attacked is real in a lot of cases for good reason. You know, you look at history and it's filled with all sorts of violence of one religion against another. But we have an opportunity to turn that around. I really believe. And I've seen it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on this horse riding it if I hadn't seen it time and time again very powerfully. And, and people don't have to spend any time on this at all. You know, the diversity thing for employees, you know, they do have diversity chairs and, uh, you know, vice president for diversity, and they're paid to do that stuff. But the, everybody else, this is an activity that they engage in because they believe in it, and that's it. They're not doing it for credit. In fact, if anything, it's kind of taken away. Some, some of their bosses are probably thinking, oh, this is wasting time, shouldn't be doing this. So you get people who really believe in this uh, and more and more, and it has a positive effect. There's hope. There's hope for the workplace. There's hope for the world. Yeah, I, I guess my view is just the... Uh you were talking about like, where do you find hope? I think it's, for me, it's the opposite. It's thinking about the negative stuff or is someone out to get me if I bring something up? It's just, that's just not productive thought. No, it's not. You're, you're spot on. It's just not productive thought. It is isolating thought. And it's also presumptuous, right? You're presuming that that person is going to have it out for you if, if you don't believe the way they do. You don't, you know, relationships require a degree of risk. If, you, if you're going to be transparent with somebody, there's risk involved, risk of being hurt, betrayed. I mean, that's always the case. But without a, a close engagement, if, if all of our work is just business uh, in terms of meeting the spec and I'm going to get out of you what I need to get out of you in order to um, meet my schedule. I mean, first of all, people are not going to be loyal to sticking around in that environment. They're going to take a job someplace else. But also, it's just not a, it's not a civil way to, to be, if that makes sense. So, so I'm curious about touching on authority and religion in the mm. workplace. So there's something different, you know, if you're engineer one and there's no one working under you versus you being a manager versus you being a director versus you being CEO of the company, how, how does that change the outlook or does it change? Well, you, that's an excellent question, Steve. And, you know, being a lawyer, I have to say there is a difference. If you're the CEO and you're coming out and you happen to be, let's just say, a Christian believer and you come out and start saying, oh, man, I think Bible studies are great and let's just do all this stuff, that 
very quickly is translated by a lot of people as meaning you do that and maybe you'll have a chance of progressing in the organization. Well, that is that is diametrically opposed to what this activity is all about. That is, And it's got to be leaned against. And so people in high levels of authority have to be especially careful the way that they express things. They have to be very vocal about the fact that this applies to all faiths and no faith, including atheists, agnostics. It, we, we are all in the same boat, but not just saying it with your words, but really acknowledging it and celebrating it. So some people in, in various sects feel like, oh, gee, I can't, how can I celebrate a person who's Muslim who has a different theology than me or, or an atheist who's espousing these things? How can I say this is good? That Yes, you can, because they're human beings and because all ideas, I mean, wh- which ideas are you going to stifle completely? It, it's a, a downward slope from there. But it's, uh, yeah, we... Management carries an interesting challenge. Now, Intel, I mentioned, is number one, the most faith-friendly in the world right now. By and, and I could get into the details of what the metrics are, but you don't want to listen to all that. But the president of Intel is Pat Gelsinger, who is a very open and out uh, evangelical Christian. Yeah, he teaches a Bible study at work. He's real involved with the Christian group there. But he's also involved in the Muslim and Hindu groups. He's also engaging them and encouraging them and applauding them in a way that doesn't compromise his faith. And it's got to be that way. And, you know, middle managers, it's the same thing. And people on your team, you don't want, you want to disabuse them of the notion that if they join your group, they'll be favored. So make explicit. This is not going to happen. I am dead set against it. It's not for those reasons that that anybody... You think about it. If if you're a strong adherent to a particular faith, do you want people, you know, sort of saluting your faith inauthentically because they feel like they have to in order to progress? I mean, what religion really thinks that? Now, you can say, well, some do historically, but when you really challenge them, every one of them, you know, they'll think about it. And boy, I love them thinking about it and us thinking about it. And invariably, in our experience, they've come back and said, look, it doesn't help our cause to push our religion against somebody who's not willing, make them inauthentic. It poisons the well. And, you know, then you don't know who is being authentic and who isn't. It's just the opposite of what we're trying to do. And it, it embitters people. That's the other thing. I mean, my gosh. So that's why I said, you know, be quiet. You know, there is a time to be still, and it's a lot of the time. Be sensitive to the person who you're with. Listen to them. A lot of this is about listening. You know, you asked, well, well what do they do to, um, there's training internally. A lot of it relates to sort of training your own people how to relate more kindly and effectively in accordance with the faith that they espouse to people who don't ascribe to that faith. And that's happening. It is happening. You know, I have a practical example from work that I think would be fun to kind of touch on and and discuss. So there's someone uh, that I work with that is in management that is currently going through seminary to receive their MDiv and uh, become ordained in the Methodist church. 
So they are absolutely, their intent sometime in the future is to go change from working in the space industry to be a pastor, which is, which is kind of uh, fun. Now, one of the things that they're struggling with, and they've actually spoken to me uh, sometimes about this, is the wearing of the clergy collar. So in the Methodist churches, the uh, pastors wear the, the collar like you would see mm-hmm. in, uh, in Catholicism. And is that something that is appropriate to wear in a workplace? And especially, is that something that's appropriate to wear if you are in management? Now, one argument that they've given that I uh, I hadn't thought of before that I think is actually kind of fun is if if you see if you see something happening, someone breaking the law, you go look and you see a police officer, they're wearing a uniform. You can go and point to them and say, you you can help me. If you see a building on fire and you see a firefighter wearing their uniform, you can point to them and say that. Well, in a, in a, if there's a matter of, I guess, faith issues or a, a spiritual issue, you can point to them and they're wearing their uniform. That's someone you can go talk to. And that's their argument is that it is an outward showing of their capability of being or they're wearing their uniform let's let's put it that way how interesting so so i'm curious about your thoughts about wearing a symbol of that sort especially in management so it's interesting i'll give you an example the head of air traffic control for american airlines greg mcbrayer is his name he's an episcopal priest and he shows up to work every day with a collar Mm. okay and however i say however but And in addition, he has served as the, I I explained that some of these organizations have umbrellas over many faiths. He has served as the focal point for that umbrella as well. So he's made it no uncertain terms. He's made it very clear that he is not, and he's in high level management, obviously. He is not going to permit any discrimination on the basis of faith or anything like that. And also, he invites people to come by wearing that collar. He invites people to come up to him and and bear their souls. You know, people wear crosses and other yarmulkes or whatever. In in an environment where it's okay to talk about faith, they're inviting questions and engagements. And one of the things we found most powerfully impactful in the workplace is when people have troubles, personal trials— and they don't know who to turn to, and they turn to a person who has this identifier or who has become known, the head of the, um, the Muslim group, the head of the Christian group, or the Hindu group. They've made themselves known. I mean, these are high-profile positions in a lot of these companies. They get people coming to them and saying, would you advise me? Would you pray for me? You know, it's interesting. Parker, one of our great speakers was an atheist, uh, came to our a couple of our conferences, and he came after he and I had had some discussions about faith in the workplace, various kinds, of course, and I don't want to get this wrong. Actually, it wasn't him. It was somebody else who identified as as atheist who said it became known that he was struggling with a very severe uh, bout of cancer, a particular kind of cancer that was very severe. And I went up to him and I said, hey, would you mind if I pray for you? And his response was, go ahead and flap your gums. You know, you're kidding yourself, but, you know, I'm not going to stop you. And I uh, prayed with him in the workplace. This guy, I can see it right now. Remember, in his case, uh, 
I put my hand on his shoulder. He didn't flinch away or anything. And I just, I prayed for him out loud in a conference room. And I just prayed to my God. And I said, I said the prayer over him that, that he'd be healed and, and that people would come alongside him and care about him and encourage him, be the lifter of his head and all this kind of stuff. And he said, okay, you've done your thing. You know, you're happy with yourself. And he disappeared at that time. And it was months later, he came back. He was not fully recovered, but he was doing much better. And he said, remember when you prayed for me? I want you to know that really touched me. Now, he didn't convert or anything, but it touched him. Well, what touched him? What touched him, he said, was that you care enough about me. I know your prayer was in earnest. I don't, in a sense, I don't even care whether you're really praying to some existing God or not, but I believe it's so we connected without forcing anything. I'm a big believer in prayer in the workplace. You know, you're facing all sorts of time schedules, problems, and things like this, and if somebody has an open door, not in a public place necessarily, um, but just, you know, you know somebody's really struggling with a project, say, hey, do you mind, do you mind if I, I just pray for you? I, I'd like to do that. Is that okay with you? And if the person says, yeah, okay, or yeah, please yourself and do it, then do it. It, it builds bridges. Prayer builds bridges yeah, you're notified. The other thing, an interesting uh, theme in some of these companies, Tyson Foods is the, one of the uh, leaders in this area, and that is sponsoring paid chaplains, just like they do in the army. And these chaplains are not dedicated to any one religion, but they're there. They show up in uh, usually uh, manufacturing plants or different facilities of Tyson Foods. And some of the other companies are beginning to do that as well to pay chaplains to come, and they're very much identifiable. But my hope would be that the laity, just the people you work with side by side, day by day, would would care enough about one another to open that door and say, I'm an ear for you no matter what, and I'm not going to judge you. You know, you're having trouble. So let me come. Let's go get a beer together. Let's, you know, and then and then go to the hospital when the person's in the hospital. That that speaks volumes. How many bosses do you know who actually do that? <laughs> it is interesting because a lot of these companies that you're, you're bringing up have a pretty large employee base. Yes. This can be a completely different challenge when you're at a smaller company and mm. there's you're the only person of that faith, or maybe it's just you and one other person. It's a lot easier to find people in a company that has 30,000 employees, but I guess it scales differently. It's a good point. And there are some companies that are led by very religious people who, you know, if you go into the boardroom, there's a thing on the wall that has a scripture thing, or it's, it's really in your face for a particular religion. In smaller companies, there are additional challenges. But we've seen it work in small companies where the, if the CEO believes in religious diversity— I don't want people feeling like they're uncomfortable. Oh, there's Coca-Cola Consolidated, y'all. The chairman of Coca-Cola Consolidated is an amazing guy. And he runs his business as a, quote, Christian company. They have a lot of employees of all different faiths. And they go out of their way to make them feel welcome, not second-class citizens in any way, to, to care for them. And they have amazing employee retention across all different faiths. Coca-Cola Consolidated is, is a great example. Now, that's a large 
a very large company. That's a, it's a bottling company. It's the largest bottling company for Coke and Coke products. But the smaller companies, yeah, there are challenges there, but I believe the same principles can apply. So back when you, you were talking about where these comp- like Tyson was paying... Um, chaplains. Chaplains, yes, uh, to come in. What actually came to my mind is the big problem with mental health that we have in modern society. And where it's the whole thing with, you know, going to uh, therapy and that kind of stuff, that lends itself to that. Because on the flip side, you have HR, and you can't go to HR with personal problems, really, unless it's like personal inner work problems between people and work. But if it's outside of work, you can't really come to them for that. So that gives you an outlet at work to really help through those problems. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, You know, a lot of companies now uh, have outside organizations that help with mental health. In fact, the next conference, it's going to be in May in Washington, D.C. for the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. One of the breakout sessions is going to be for human resource professionals. How do you integrate faith, sort of ministry, as it were, into your uh, psychological help Employee assistance programs, they're very common, EAP in large companies. Uh, How do you integrate that into um, provision of psychological counseling and, um, you know, drug addiction kind of counseling and uh, all types of personal issues? So that is beginning to happen. It is a, a natural, you know, symbiotic connection for this faith in the workplace movement to seek to address these psychological issues. And you know, one of the major psychological issues in workplaces is loneliness. Loneliness is rampant. People, you know, they're working at home, they're many of them, but even if they weren't working at home, many of them feel like they're not in the in-group. They feel like they've been shunned. There is a, a um, real epidemic of loneliness in American society. And uh, this kind of a focus on enabling people to bring their whole self to work and, and their whole spiritual self to work as well has promise in that area as well to try to walk into those situations and care for people and steer them sometimes to professional help when, it's, when you're over your head. But, you know, so much of it is addressable. You know, it's interesting. I've been in uh, situations where there are mass layoffs and a lot of anxiety around that. And I've uh, been involved when we've had entire departments laid off. And if you have leaders who really care about their people, it really affects them too. So they're torn up about this. They're really upset about it. They're really hurting in having to let go people that they trust and love and, and care for and who are real good people. The experiences that I had at Texas Instruments included you know, the, we made it known throughout the company that anybody who wants to come and, and just vent or connect with somebody, we have these conference rooms which are dedicated to that, and we have people there to pray for you, to care about you. And we had a lot of people come in, this one one that I, I remember coming in, and they were comforting us. They were saying, you know, I believe that I'm going to be taking care of. Something's going to break And it was like, wow, this is fantastic. And we also had leaders who came in broken about the fact that they were letting go some really fine people and they need help too. Yeah, I think it's perhaps a little 
easy for us to fall into the idea that we are the cogs in the machine that makes the business go. And our entire purpose is to be there, do the work and then leave. Cause that's what our paycheck is. Uh, what that's the purpose of the paycheck. And, and I think what the job description says, right, 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 right. The job description doesn't necessarily, it maybe it should, but it doesn't necessarily say bring all of you to this job. It says, bring your technical experience or bring your management experience or bring, bring what we need. And so, uh, being a complete human being is part of that. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I wanted to mention is it should not feel compulsory. You know, you never want to create an environment where, okay, everybody, we're going to go around the room and everybody's going to open up about <laughs> their deepest theological place. No, 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 oh, no, God, no. God, everyone this hates that. This is a that. terrible idea. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's for people who, who desire to do that. Um, well, this was absolutely fascinating. We really appreciate you uh, coming on to discuss this topic with us. Ken, I'm curious, where can people find more about the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation? Yeah, if you were to just Google RFBF, you'd find Redfish, Bluefish, but you'd also find the Religious Freedom and (laughs) Business Foundation. ReligiousFreedomAndBusinessFoundation.org is our website. Or you could just contact me. I'm glad to chat with anybody about this stuff. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Ken. Great talking with you. So thank you for listening to Circuit Break. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Doman. Take it easy. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading and listening to our podcast. Tell your friends and coworkers about Circuit Break, the podcast from MacroFad. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic you want us to discuss, let Stephen and I and the community know our community where you can find personal projects, discussions about this episode of the podcast and engineering topics and news of the industry is located at form.macrofab.com.